from Michigan Radio, this is It's Just Politics. I'm Zoe Clark, and I am super excited that every week on Michigan Radio, we will be digging into all things Michigan politics every Friday at this time. We will use these 20 minutes every week to talk to lawmakers and political strategists and just amazing Michigan journalists to better understand what's happening in Michigan politics and why. So with that, let's get started. I'm really First, let me say, grateful for the opportunity to continue this work for four more years. That was newly reelected Governor Gretchen Whitmer. She cruised into winning her second term last week, beating her Republican opponent by nearly 11 points and helping Democrats win the state House and state Senate for the first time in nearly 40 years. More Michiganders turned out to vote for Whitmer this election than four years ago. I spoke with the governor this week. We, you know, saw something happen that uh, has only happened four times in 130 years in Michigan. And so I take this uh, moment as a affirmation of our agenda to address the kitchen table issues and create a Michigan where every person has a real opportunity at prosperity, can get a good paying job, send their kids to good schools and live Uh, live the life they want to live and be respected and protected under the law, no matter who they are or where they come from. And so that's something I think is going to continue to be our North Star as we do everything from driving budgets to policy changes. And I'm excited about working with the new legislature. I don't mean to be flip with this question, but like you say, only four times in 130 years, do Democrats in Michigan actually know how to work together to run government? (laughs) Well, you know, with between term limits and and that record, I think you know obviously there's going to be a there's going to be a lot of, of fast work that needs to happen here. But I've got great confidence in Speaker Elect Joe Tate and Senate Majority Leader Elect Winnie Brinks, both of whom um, have broken glass ceilings with mm-hmm. their individual elections. And uh, I think we're going to be able to do a lot of great work together. And all that said, I'll tell you this. I will always make room at the table for anyone who wants to solve problems. And so that is an invitation to both the uh, incoming Senate Minority Leader and the House Minority Leader. Have you talked to any of those Republican leaders about the next legislative term? I know you've met with the Democrats. You know, I've not had uh, one-on-ones with them yet. Uh, I'm always mindful of the fact that we only have one governor at a time. That was something that was reinforced uh, after I won four years ago, that Rick Snyder continued to be the governor until I took my oath of office. And so I want to afford that same respect to the outgoing legislative leaders because they still are in charge through the end of the year. Governor, first terms in office are not like second terms. You're not running for office again, at least not for governor. How does that change the way you see yourself governing? I think it will be liberating, to be honest. Um, You know, we've got a very different legislature. This is my last term as governor. I'm going to serve four years, and my goal is to hand this over, the state uh, leadership over to whomever succeeds me in a as strong a position as we can build. And that means continuing to move Michigan toward being a top 10 state in literacy, continuing to outcompete other states and get investment in advanced manufacturing and life sciences and semiconductors. It means continuing to build the damn roads. Uh, So these are the fundamentals that were a hallmark of my first term and the second term. I just want to put my foot on the accelerator. 
You've been adamant over the past few weeks and really months, even before you won re-election, that you are not looking at the presidency in 2024. Just moments ago, you said you are going to fulfill your four-year term. But your name keeps coming up. I'm curious why you think your name is so prominent. What does that tell you? I, you know, I, I can't read into the minds of all the <laughs> folks that keep writing me up in stories. I can just tell you this. You know, Michigan's an important state. We're an important state to the nation. As Michigan goes, often goes the United States. And as the U.S. goes, often goes the rest of the globe. So I think there, there's always going to be a lot of focus on Michigan. My, certainly my predecessor had that kind of focus, as did his predecessor and hers. So uh, I don't think that that's anything new. I just know that in this moment where we got reelected um, with, with such a big margin and such um, important outcome on ballot issues and flipping both houses of our legislature, um, obviously there's a lot of energy here in Michigan and the world's taking notice. And I think that's going to be good for our state. You do have a job ahead of you before your next inaugural, and that is naming a replacement for outgoing Chief Justice Bridget Mary McCormick of the Michigan Supreme Court. She announced back in September that she is stepping down from the high court and plans to be done before the next year. Can you tell me about your thoughts on the replacement? I'll just say this. You know, Bridget Mary McCormick has been a phenomenal Chief Justice of the Michigan Supreme Court, and um, she will be very difficult to replace. As uh, with any appointment that we make, there is a very long uh, vetting process that happens, as well as um, the Judicial Qualifications Committee uh, will work through and make some recommendations as well. And so uh, I think that's an honor to be in a position to be able to name a new justice, but um, we're not we're not quite at the moment where I could tell you who it's going to be yet. Speaking of the Michigan Supreme Court, we are all still waiting, even though Proposal 3 passed uh, last week to enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution. We're still waiting to see if the Michigan Supreme Court is going to take up this court case about the 1931 law. Do you have an expectation that the high court still will do that? Well, I can tell you that uh, our lawyers are working to make sure that we continue to protect reproductive rights in Michigan. And um, the ballot initiative doesn't take effect until 45 days after the election. And so that injunction, uh, you know, is, is really important that it still continues on. And so as we are assessing the possibility of perhaps repealing the 1931 law with the next legislature, even if it's not specifically necessary. I think that there's merit to considering doing that. And and the pending lawsuit as well remains important. So we're working with our lawyers to make sure that whatever we do, our next steps um, are geared toward making sure that we live up to the, um, the message that the voters sent last Tuesday when they overwhelmingly adopted Proposal 3. Finally, Governor, I understand that President Biden called you on election night after you had won. What did he have to say? Congratulations. It was a very short call. (laughs) Governor Gretchen Whitmer, thank you for your time. Thank you. You're listening to It's Just Politics from Michigan Radio. I am Zoe Clark. Let's turn now to two brains who know a whole lot about Democratic and Republican politics in Michigan. John Selleck is CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs and Adrian Hemond. He is CEO of Grassroots Midwest. Welcome back to It's Just Politics, you two. Hello. Hi. So, Adrian, I want to start with you. You worked for years in the state legislature for Democrats. You were chief of staff to a Democratic minority leader. 
There's a lot of talk in Lansing right now about how much and how quickly Democrats should get done vis-a-vis policy proposals like right to work or a repeal of the state's pension tax. We just heard from Governor Whitmer about sort of the things that she's looking at. What is your take about how Democrats should work in this moment? Well, you know, I think that one of the things Democrats have going for them is the state's flush with cash. So there's a lot of stuff that they can do that's going to be less controversial and will get bipartisan support because they have money. Yeah, $6 billion doesn't hurt to start out um, a legislative term. John, I've heard Republicans say that Democrats should take a more measured approach, that the Democrats' slim majorities mean that there isn't necessarily a mandate to govern. Um, Is that true or are they just saying that because they're not going to be in power anymore? (laughs) Well, first of all, we should uh, the governor should send a uh, thank you note to the Republicans for leaving her the six billion dollar Christmas present. Uh, They chose not to try to spend all that money and thinking that they might have a Republican governor to spend it with in 2023. And that turned out to be a false narrative. But overall, I I don't it was more of a blue sweep than a blue wave. So Democrats were incredibly successful. But, you know, in the House, they're sitting at 56. That's the bare majority. Lose one vote and you don't have a majority. And they're at 20 in the Senate, which is a smidge better, but it's still pretty close. And in both of those places, they have a lot of people who are elected just by a couple hundred votes. And uh, that means they are going to have some work to do. It's a good problem to have, to have to corral your caucus and try to keep them on a more moderate path. And I think we saw, um, well, I wouldn't say moderate, I'd say centrist, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to a really strong progressive leaning agenda. And I think we saw the governor doing her year-end interviews, trying to set the tone for that. She said, we need to be tethered to kitchen table issues. That was her signal of where she would like them to go. Adrian, are Democrats going to follow that approach? You know, I certainly think they're going to start that way. You know, I expect that as we get deeper into next year, you will see um, some of the more partisan issues that are going to come up. Um, You know, there's there's always a rhythm to these legislative sessions. And at least for the House members, you know, they have to run for re-election in 2024. Um, And and most of them will still be running in safe districts. And so I do think that as we get closer to the beginning of 2024, you'll probably see uh, more of the more partisan stuff like right to work, some things like that. But I think for the first nine months, um, there's going to be a lot of effort to work together um, in a collaborative fashion. Having all of that money helps. Um, I think that the state budget process will go relatively smoothly. And that's a place for Democrats to really put a stamp on their priorities and spend some of that money in the ways that they've been promising their constituents that they would if they got power. Yeah, I totally agree with Adrian on that. They just spent about 50 to 70 million dollars in the election campaigning essentially as centrists, as moderates, as nonpartisan problem solvers. Um, And they talked about what would be the kitchen table side of the issue list, like tax cuts and even reproductive rights. But there's the other side of the ledger, uh, you know, that's been described as pent up uh, legislative priorities or even the word revenge used by some Democrats. And, you know, on that side of the list is where we put things like right to work and prevailing wage and dropping into charter schools, books and exposing them to the light of day the kind of rhetoric that's been out on that. That's really the challenge. And I'm sure she's happy to, <laughs> to deal with it. The challenge of the governor and even the legislative leaders who essentially are not the super far progressives that got picked in the House and Senate is to try to keep their base of their members happy with the legislation they're pushing, but not letting them go too far, at least at first, like Adrian said. 
Okay, well, I quickly want to hear both from you. And I don't want to take a huge amount of time about this, but I think it's got to be addressed. Talking about this Whitmer for president buzz, uh, we've heard the governor over and over again. And just in this interview that, that I spoke with her where she's saying she's going to serve four-year term. Adrian, what do you have to say, just like, again, being so deep in Democratic politics uh, about her as this sort of new national figure? Well, look, it's not surprising that people would be talking about her as a potential presidential candidate. You know, she's won a competitive purple state twice now by very healthy margins, right? And uh, let's not forget, you know, this is a state that Donald Trump won in 2016, and he got pretty close to winning in 2020. And, you know, she won in blowouts both times. So it's sort of natural that she would be talked about. Also, I would point out that unlike most of our national leaders, she is not 1,000 years old. And I think that that's got some real appeal to people these days. I've <laughs> got to say, I mean, you laugh, but I was actually just talking to a journalism class yesterday, and I asked these college students, most of whom turned out to vote last week, and I said, what are some things that either party needs to do to keep you engaged uh, in the next two to four years? And I kid you not, the first answer was was don't be old. <laughs> well, it's hard to miss it from the former president to the current president to uh, the Senate and House leadership. Uh, there's a lot of old people and they do have a lot of wisdom, but we definitely are at this turning point. It's probably taking a little too long for some people's taste to switch generationally. But we saw that Speaker Pelosi announced that she's going to step out of the way and let a, a younger generation, somebody who's in their 50s, that still sounds old to my kids, but um, someone in their 50s take over for the Democrats in the House. So we're definitely seeing that move. Governor Whitmer certainly would fit into that category should she become a presidential nominee. But I, what I, I think what she did this week was really smart. She's got every lever of power she needs to build a real legacy in Michigan, even if she never ran for president with all these uh, Democrats in control in Lansing. And she's trying to turn down the temperature and take control of her own destiny. All these folks in Washington, D.C. and New York City are all writing stories saying, hey, she's the next big thing. She can run for president. And she tried to tap that all down and say, hey, uh, I'm not even talking about that. That's not what I'm doing. I'm going to run Michigan. Uh, and I think that's smart on her part. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, moving up the presidential primary, having all of this attention focused on some very well-known nationally Michigan residents, like, say, a Governor Whitmer or the Transportation Secretary up in Traverse mm -hmm. City, that only means that more political money on the Democratic side is going to flow into Michigan. So it's a positive boon for Democrats, for sure. John, finally, I want to turn to the party that you worked for for years, the Republican Party. A lot has been made about the shellacking that the GOP took in Michigan, losing statewide after statewide seat and complete control of the legislature. Some might think that there might be some introspection after such a loss. But instead, this week, we saw the announcement of the grand new party pack. And what does it tell you about the current state of the Republican Party in Michigan? Well, I'm not so sure we're in an era of introspection. We're having some here on the show. And so we'll have to thank you for doing that for us, for the listeners. But what we are in the era of, especially in the GOP, is to be the loudest and the most boisterous and say the most outrageous thing to grab the next day's headlines. That's what President Trump kind of laid out there. And he wasn't the first. You know, Chris Christie and others were trying to do that at the back of the, the 2010s. Um, so it's going to keep moving forward. Nobody's going to want to admit guilt. They'll point fingers so they can take the lead next. And where the GOP in Michigan really could benefit is in these legislative battles that we talked about, especially if the progressives 
get the upper hand and say, if not now, then when? So let's do this thing. The GOP has two very capable, experienced leaders, Senator Eric Nesbitt in the uh, Senate, obviously, and State Rep Matt Hall is a minority leader in the House. They're going to be really intelligent about knowing when to work with the Democrats and when to try to stop them. The business community is pretty nervous right now. They're not sure what's going to be coming toward them. Uh, as we go forward. And so those two people have a real big opportunity to step up and help the GOP while it's meandering for the next literally three months before it picks its next chair. What it looks like is going to happen is the fight over the next GOP chair is all about the next platform for someone to run for office or to get onto Fox News. We're just facing more of that going forward. Adrian, is that the case that just the Republican Party, instead of, again, introspection, looking just to continue going farther and farther to the right? Well, it's certainly there's a large contingent in the Michigan GOP that is hungry for that. It certainly seems like that's true of the folks who are going to attend that convention next year to select a new party chair. That convention is a real problem for the state GOP. That convention did real damage to the GOP last year, nominating Matt DiPerno and Christina Caramo. And it was for exactly the reasons that John just laid out. I don't think that dynamics go going away and the run up to them electing a new chair. Adrian Heeman, he's CEO of Grassroots Midwest, and John Selleck, CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs. You two, we are always grateful for the time and your minds. Thanks so much. We're grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you. And hey, we want to hear from you. What Michigan political stories do you want to hear more about? What questions do you have about what happens in Lansing? shoot us an email. The address is politics at michiganradio.org. Again, that is politics at michiganradio.org. Let us know what you're thinking about. And if you want even more Michigan politics, subscribe to the It's Just Politics podcast. Earlier this week, I spoke with Professor Matt Grossman because, you know, a lot has been made since the election about redistricting in Michigan and the fact that new independently drawn maps helped Democrats win both the state house and the Senate for the first time in 40 years. But how much of that really was based on redistricting? You can find that story at michiganradio.org or again, just find the It's Just Politics podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Okay, that is the show for this Friday, November 18th, 2022. I am Zoe Clark. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Thanks so much for listening.